phases, home station checks, and other periodic maintenance inspections are vital to maintain the lifespan of an aircraft. Despite this, many senior level officials will gloss over these inspections for the sake of having the plane back into its operational cycle. This is all about that phase, about that phase, no support. <laughs> I, I I gotta be honest, I didn't know that was gonna be in there. I was like, all about that phase, that phase. I thought I was having a glitch in my, my headphones. I was like, did it repeat twice? <laughs> about that phase, no support. <laughs> is that is that Megan Flight School Trainer? Megan Flight School Trainer, yes. <laughs> Megan AMP School Trainer. <laughs> yeah. We just we just gave her a new nickname. Megan, if you're out there, your new nickname's the <laughs> the flight line trainer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god we love you anyways <laughs> phase maintenance yes so so, so what well, is phase maintenance so a phase maintenance is like a periodic or a planned maintenance interval uh you will hear certain you hear may hear it in different names like say a home station check a planned maintenance interval or overhaul things of that nature and what it is it's it's a like I said, a planned interval, and this is meant to kind of to extend or maintain the lifespan of a plane, right? Like say, say it flies so many flight hours. Let's say, for instance, four hundred flight hours, which some air, some larger aircraft have a a, a longer interval, like say eight hundred or eighteen hundred. Anyway, these ones is when the plane comes down or it's taken off its operation time, and they do a list of maintenance tasks, like say change out the filters, uh, inspect the mounts, stuff like that. Yeah, repacking uh, hydraulic actuators, pulling the gear out, corrosion inspections, I guess depending on the phase, right? Most aircraft have multi-phase uh, inspections, you know, they call them A checks, B checks, C checks, and D checks. And, and from my experience, D checks are like, you pretty much, uh, A checks are pretty much filter changes, right? Mm -hmm. You could do that on the line. Um, Aircraft, you know, you don't really have to take it out of its operational cycle um, to do that kind of a phase maintenance on that one. But uh, then where it's like a D phase, right? Mm -hmm. You're you're ripping everything out of it. You're pretty much taking it down to the to the shell uh, corrosion inspections. Uh, if there is corrosion, clean it up, you know, repaint paint touch ups, uh, repacking uh, servos, actuators, you know, um, you know, deep inspections, uh, pulling out the micrometers and such and making sure all components are within tolerances. You know, you're obviously doing some more in-depth uh, troubleshooting. And if there's been a problem on the MEL list or the minimum equipment list, right, that's been, you know, deferred for a while, they'll typically take care of that problem at that time. Well, you hope. Yeah. Because <laughs> then there's sometimes you're like, hey, uh, I found all these problems during the phase inspection. And then, you know, chief goes, well, that's fine. Just defer them and we'll continue on. I'm like, but it's already gutted. Why don't we take care of it now? No, 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 no. We're not taking the extra time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and sadly that happens a lot. Now, certain civilian aircraft, like say Cessnas and stuff, they have a similar version of phases or uh, home, home station checks. They're like uh, your hundred hour inspections, your uh, 200, 400 hour inspections. And that's when you would take it to like uh, like an FBO or MRO some or somewhere where it's like sanctioned by the FAA for them to perform these inspections and they have the tools to do it. Yeah. Part one, one forty five, or your, your airlines, uh, wherever their home base is typically, right. Mm -hmm. They'll have, um, uh, massive hangers there and they'll pull the, pull the aircraft inside and then they'll put 
these multi-leveled or stories uh, of um, platforms and gantries and things around it, and then mm-hmm. then commence with the uh, with the work. Yeah, and and again, going back, this is all look, this is all to extend or maintain the aircraft's lifespan because, like all things, it's going in the air and it's pretty much it's taking in all these forces that wear it down and there's certain components that will fail faster than others, which is typical. So these inspections or these planned maintenance intervals will eliminate the chances of something prematurely failing, or we can spot it and replace it when it's supposed to. But again, like we said, we, we care more about having the plane back into the mix, back into its operation schedule. So a lot of times as MVP has alluded, we'll, We'll just do the inspections just enough or we'll defer certain things just to cut down the the, the downtime for these in- inspections so we can have it back on the line to do what it needs to do. Now, is that right? Absolutely fucking not. But it happens all the time. In, in most cases with um, these planned maintenance intervals or phases, home station checks, etc. You got a dedicated team to do these inspections, right? And they're they're pulled from all different um, uh, sections or shops. You have like structures guys, some avionics guys, wire technicians that do so nothing but wires and stuff like that. And they'll have them together. We'll have a no kidding schedule of events. What's going to happen? We have a planned set of tasks that's supposed to happen. And then we schedule these out. Okay, day one, we're going to do this. Day two, we're going to do this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And by shift too, right? Yeah. In most cases, but depending on how big or how long the list is, you would, you would, you would have shifts, right? And in a typical fashion, depending on the plane, of course, and how extensive the, the phase get, gets into, like you were saying with uh, D phases or, or other major uh, overhauls where they get down into the shell, it can take, uh, let's say, uh, best case scenario, like anywhere from two work weeks to maybe pushing three. Right. And then that's typical. You will want that. <laughs> but again, like we said, we, we don't a lot, a lot of individuals, especially senior level individuals, they don't they don't see the downtime as money making time. They see it as we're losing money. Well, that's true, because the longer the aircraft's down, right, they're not at least in the corporate world and the airline business. Uh, every time that jet's not hauling people around, it's uh, not making money in, in op size and, and, and to which is true. But uh they also don't see it from if we don't take care of these items, uh, some detrimental actions could occur, and then you're 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 out a lot more than just money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, like like a, an example is like uh, what you would normally catch on a deep level inspection, let's say stator vein cracks or uh, uh, fairings uh, starting to joggle loose, like their nut plates are starting to joggle loose. On a typical day to day op, it's just dime a dozen. In, you know, you do, you swing it in. You do what you need to do to get the pre-flight, post-flight inspection done. If it's a little loose, just kind of glue it up in there to help it stiffen or or stay in place at least for another flight. Button it back up and let it go. And you'll just like defer it or write it up saying, oh, uh, such and such is loose, defer it till next uh, planned maintenance or next periodic maintenance. And they keep doing that, doing that, doing that. And then it gets to the periodic maintenance and they're just like, well, just push it through, hurry up and get it out of here so you get it back into the line. Yeah, or like the temporary fix, right? You were talking about the 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 fasteners on a panel joggling loose and like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna knock out the rivets, re-rivet in a new fastener, put in a new receptacle, whatever else, you know what I mean? Um, we're gonna do all that. 
that work now and maintenance control or, or ops or whoever's going, well, why do that? What did you do to fix it the last time? It's been MEL'd for a while. So what have you been doing then? Just do that again. Well, that's, that's a, a bandaid, right? Mm-hmm. It's a bandaid so it can, so it can press on. Yeah. It's not going to fall off and flight or whatever else, but that's, it's also not right. Mm-hmm. So, but when it's small stuff like that, they don't look at that as a, you know, potential loss of life uh, type type problem. Whereas like, Hey, uh, our engine trusses are cracked. Maybe a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you, you, you hear this in almost any typical maintenance control or maintenance planning, uh, entity. It says if it's a, if it's a downing condition or a red X condition or whatever, whatever the term is for that, this thing cannot fly with this. They're like, all right, take care of those and get it going. But then you would see ones where like, it's starting to trend that way. They're like, Hey, we got, we, we're seeing a potential problem. They're like, ah, it's fine. As long as if it's not a, if it's not a red X or a downing condition, we don't care. Like, you might want to care. Uh, just saying, might might want to. Yeah, it could turn into a red X situation real quick. Real quick, yeah. <laughs> like on this, I think the seven forty sevens, right? They had a problem with the back skin uh, having a buckling effect. Mm-hmm. So you know they they would find it during these phase inspections, but uh, over time um, they would have to replace the back skins at some point. But they're like, well, it's still structurally sound per the engineering, and we've NDI'd it and whatever else, and this and that, and there's only only micro fractures in it. You know, it's just on the skin, not a not a main structural part, whatever. Yakety yak, and you're like, yeah, but I mean, that's not going to take too much. I feel like if it's buckling, it's you know. Mm-hmm. But again, that goes to one of those things where they're kind of like, yeah, it's not. Uh, engineering said it's good, and you're like, okay, well, engineering's not the one signing this off either. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or an- another one I found issues with is like engine bearings or engine mount bearings. Like when you're on the line and it's like, it's say like the, the tolerance or the, the bearings are, are measuring out to be like maybe a hairline towards their limit. Like it's one thousandth of an inch towards its limit. You're like, well, it's still good because it's within limits. Now for operations, that's, that's totally fine. Like it's still within limits. It's fine. Just roll it. But once you come into like the planned maintenance intervals or phases or home station checks, whatever, and you see that, like, I mean, it look how it, it it survived to get here, which is good. But I don't think it's gonna survive its next phase or its next whatever. Yeah, it won't make it to the next maintenance cycle, which is the whole point of a phase maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. Is to is to catch those things that are that are you know they're not gonna fail during the op cycle, but you inspect them, they're getting close to out of tolerance. Hey, let's might as well just swap it out. Again, it all comes down to dollars and cents, and when we're talking aviation, we're talking hundreds of thousands, you mm-hmm. know, to millions of dollars, depending on what it is and what's wrong. But, um, they don't see it that way. You know, it's, I mean, you could, like you said, you're, well, we're 1000 away from being out of tolerance. Yeah, but you're still in tolerance. Right. But, but we've flown 800 hours to get to this point. I, you know, and it's taken off this much material, brand new, it had this much material and it's already worn it down this far. It's not, we're going to be way out of tolerance come next phase phase interval, just judging off of what's been worn out so far, mm-hmm. just judging off of material loss alone. Right. Right. But they're like, but it's still within tolerance. I'm like, okay, well, we do that. But then we fly a hundred hours and I got to take it down again because, because it's going to be out of tolerance by that point. Yeah. Oh my God. Have we, how many times have you ran into situations like that? MVP where like, like too often, like, uh, oh, it's, it's fine. Just sign off. Just, just sign off the, the, the phase or the whatever. And 
They're like, all right, whatever, it's going. And then it goes, do it does one flight. And then and that part that you mentioned fails. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. here we are. <laughs> Dude, it's so many times that would happen. You'd do the work and you'd point out something. Hey, um, this looks like, you know, it's within tolerance, but it's getting close. You want me to just go ahead and take, take care of it now? And oftentimes, you know, control will be like, nah, we're going to, we're going to press on. It's got a, got a flight to do a revenue flight tomorrow. And you're like, okay. And then it flies one more day and then the aircraft's down again because something failed or something, whatever the pilots noticed something, wrote something up. Then the next maintenance guy, right. And this could be on the other end of the country by this point. And the next maintenance guy goes out to look at it and says, Hey, uh, this, uh, this bearing's out of tolerance now, or this bearing's awful loose. Didn't this thing get worked on last night? And they look through the book and see that you worked on like, this guy should have caught this during this inspection. And then that control is going, hey, what the hell? And you're like, I, I told you. I told you. I, I brought it. I brought it up. It's- I brought it up. So that's why in like your paperwork, you have to be uber specific and say, you know, everything that you worked on. And like in my email traffic, I always put uh, also other items that were addressed and opted to be deferred by whoever the operator was at that time, you know? Yeah. Uh, what I've also run into, especially when we do these phases and whatnot, I consider phases or any kind of periodic maintenance kind of like a maintenance reset, you know? So like say uh, it flew 400 hours, 800 hours, whatever, and we're taking it down. Anything that was coming due within 10% of, the, of that uh, downtime, that should all get worked. Agreed. Like say like, uh, okay, we had an engine 400 hour. That's like 300, it's 350 hours now. It's got another 50. Let's just do it now since it's down. Or it's got a, like a, like some kind of a inspection where it's, like I said, te- within 10% of it coming due. If, if the aircraft is down already, you might as well just do it all and then just reset the whole thing. So all the hours jump match up instead Correct. of having like, like uh Okay, your your uh, your eight phase or whatever hourly inspections done, but now you have a engine inspection that's due in twenty eight. Yeah, like damn, it just came out of phase maintenance. Why, why, why didn't they do this then? It's like, yeah, what was the point of getting it down to fly twenty eight hours and then comes back down to to do another downtime? That's that to me is the biggest waste of money, but it happens. <laughs> like you said before, that happens so often. And the the worst I hate of it all is you'll get these individuals who like, who says, well, oh, I can do this in X amount of time. Like just like almost miracle, miracle time. Like I can get this home station check or this phase maintenance done in like less than two days or less than three days. I'm like, that's cool and all, bro. I, I, I really, I'm strongly believe that you can do that. However, <laughs> uh, the speed or the completion time of this down maintenance time, it all depends on the condition of the plane when it gets here. And whatever you guys decide to do or not do, it's going to show itself once we start tearing it open. So if you guys give me shit, it's going to take a while for me to fix it unless you tell me to defer it, in which case you're getting a more shitty product than you got coming in. And at that point, you can't really blame the face team or the maintenance team because... They had all the opportunity in the world to fix it. And you said, scrub it. And so all they did was just document it, MEL it, defer it, whatever the case may be. And now it's, now you just got garbage and you're going to have to kind of roll the dice on it as to when the plane either has to come back down because of the stuff you didn't do, or it just turns into a hangar queen and it never sees the flight line for however many months or days, weeks, months until you guys get the time to fix it. But good luck with that because... Your schedule takes precedence over a main or uh, a hanger queen. Well, what you find, what I found uh, too a lot was that if you have uh, an operator 
and they're having numerous companies, right? Because let's say they're in international operators, so they're bouncing all over the country within one day, right? So they're having they have maintenance teams or maintenance companies from all over the country working on this. And as we all know, not everybody has the same standards of work, even though they should be working to the standards of the FAR. But we all know that, you know, let's just be honest, most people have their own internal set of standards and some aren't as high as others. And so you're like, man, this, you know, Hey, I'm getting called out for a plane. You go out there and you start looking through the book and you're like, damn, this thing just came out of maintenance like two days ago. Like what the hell, what the hell is going on? Why is this broke already? And you go to look at it and you're like, you start looking at the component that broke and you're like, there's no way, there's no way anybody did anything with this. It's too dirty. Like, yeah, like it, it's obvious that nobody even messed with it. Right. Mm-hmm. They probably performed an ops check sitting in the hangar and then called it good. But there's no, there's no, there's no outside forces really affecting it in the hangar. You know, we see a whole bunch of times cannot duplicate on ground such, such things, but then it goes and flies and you have an issue. And then, so then you start running into the problems and you start, and then people start reporting back, Hey, uh, you know, I know it just came out of phase over here. Um, and this is what broke, but Hey, from what I'm seeing and you send pictures and it doesn't look like this was even touched at all. So then the operators got to go back to that place and say, Hey, what the hell? You know, you mm-hmm. guys said you did all this work and you signed it off, but I had to, I had, I had to lose a flight or lose another day's worth of flights because of this and that. And then oftentimes those, those maintainer companies, they, you know, they'll get dinged they'll, by either one, that operator withhold work from them, mm-hmm. thereby affecting their uh, wallet or, or another way. And that's how you have to, that's how you hurt, hurt people, right? Is you have to hit them in the wallet or they'll, they'll go back and they'll, um, they'll either one, not pay for that phase maintenance that was done. Yeah. So they spend all that time and they say, Hey, look, the bill hasn't come through, but we're not paying that fight us, you know, fight me. Yeah. And most time these small operators, they're not going to do anything. One, cause they ain't got the funds to, to go to court for it. And two, they don't want to lose future, future work. Cause no matter what happens in that situation, you're, you're probably going to lose work and then your reputation's tainted and all that other kind of jazz that goes with it. So, Oh yeah, clearly. Uh, I've, I've always had these, these arguments with people, like, especially when phases, they're taking longer than expected. And I say that bec- uh, majority because of the condition of the plane that came in. Like, it had, like, this whole Elder Scroll fucking scroll boy fucking uh, uh, list of discrepancies. Like, how the fuck does this thing have, like, a hundred or so more deferred discrepancies? Not little ones either. Like, like why couldn't we take take care of this before but anyway so i'll I'll get into arguments with like say maintenance chiefs or um or uh flight chiefs or whatever and i'll and i'll say like what do you want more do you want the phase to be completed or do you want this to be flight ready and of course they're gonna say well i want both i do too i do too but let's let's differentiate the the two of them phase phase complete means i just do my inspections i write up whatever i find and if it tells me to replace something, I'll do it. But other than that, you just get this extra laundry list of shit that I found and I hand it off to you. Whatever. It's not my problem no more because I did my part and you guys deal with it. And then, Or you can have flight ready, which means the aircraft is as pristine as we can get it. it all the hours and whatever are, are rebased or reset to match each other, which it's supposed to, which I don't see why it's not. And then you go do your your final check flight to make sure that the aircraft is put back together correctly and you're off you go. 
Yeah, that's exactly how it should be, especially if it's uh, one, you know, your most in-depth phase level of maintenance. Everything should be, you know, either zero time or, or you know, like you said, times hours matching. The the MEL list should be empty, and all mm-hmm. and all discrepancies in the book, unless there's a component that's part of a redundancy system, and let's just say there's nothing in stock and you can't replace it at that time because there's nothing in stock or the depot level who who can fix that on the bench is backlogged or whatever the case may be but everything should be that thing that thing should come out of that phase like a new aircraft but oftentimes you get in there hey like you said do you want flight ready or do you want phase complete because oftentimes they say hey if it's on the if it's on the deferred or mel list then defer it whatever else isn't uh fix it and so and 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 as you know um i think if most of the civilian world knew how much can be deferred on an aircraft they'd be shocked but yeah, there's a lot right. that can be deferred <laughs> yeah it's like ah, i'm never flying again i'm going straight to trains exactly back to, hor- back to horse back carriages steam-powered locomotive <laughs> <laughs> back to horse carriages fuck all that <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty crazy now the reason you can defer though a lot is because all aircraft are, are double or triple redundancy built right so and and for and for a good reason right if one component fails in flight there's another one to take it over yep so you don't lose lose any function but yeah oftentimes there's like if it's if it's deferrable defer it whatever else isn't fix it and then that's how you go from a phase that should take should take let's just say 60 days right let's just say you block out 60 days for that phase and knock it out in 15 and you're like mm, how but then that 15 becomes the new norm well, over here, they got it done in 15 days. And you're like, but what did they do? <laughs> what did they do? Because everything that I'm looking at wasn't taken care of. Yeah. Oh, I, I've, I've seen such hardcore trends like that. And I think that it's only, it turns into like a competition almost. Like, well, this guy got it done or this site over here got it done in half the time. What's taking you guys so long? Like, well, uh, it could either be the condition of their plane was pristine. They got like all the parts in the world, all the tools in the world, all the qualifications in the world, or they just didn't do it the right way. Roll the dice and see which one's which. (laughs) Man, that was one time I got to witness uh, some instant karma, right? It was, uh, wasn't during a phase maintenance, but it was an engine change, right? Engine, engine was coming due for uh, some sort of hourly inspection where it had to be removed from the airframe, taken into the shop, torn apart, whatever. And we were on the same ramp as a competitor, but working the same airframe. And so, they come to me one day and say, hey, how long does it uh, take you to, uh, you know, typically change the motor out from start to finish an aircraft being ready to fly again? I'm like, ah, we can usually get it done in about six hours on this specific airframe. I said, two guys in about six hours. He's like, oh, that's cool. He's like, yeah, we can do it in four. I was like, oh, right, right on, you know, and I've, but I've seen like, like our aircraft are also clean when it's done, right? No greasy fingerprints everywhere. Theirs look like, like you had a, there was a boot print on the <laughs> bottom of the tail and i'm like it's fucking spider-man working on this thing it's impossible how'd that get up there you know what i mean yeah <laughs> so so they go to take off right and i see their plane go and it it, it takes off and next thing you know uh it does a lap around the field and lands and then it stops in the middle of the runway declared an emergency whatever else and the guy has to go out there and that operation to go out there and recover it and bring it back in and i was like hey what happened um we lost all of our oil in flight. Oh, you, you did? What happened? <laughs> uh, we don't know. We have to look into it. Come to find out, like, they had not replaced a couple of the O-rings. And when they oh. put the thing back together, they tore them. 
they tore the O-rings a little bit and then and then under pressure again and high temp oil and then those O-rings split and then just pissed out oil under full power and uh seized up the motor and everything else. I was like I was like, so your four hour engine change is now Ah, I'll come back to you. It's fine. Do the <laughs> like three three shifts. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well Go done. Have fun with that. Yeah, that was the one time I got to see some instant karma. Like what would have taken six hours now is going to take you three shifts. Have fun with that. Yeah, but you got, but you can get it done in four. Good for you. Yeah, right. Now that's that's one of those things, man. Like if you can efficiently get it done in in a lesser time, more power to you. More power to you. But there's a reason why a lot of uh, maintenance manuals has like an elapsed time. Like this should take you about 45 minutes, an hour, whatever the case may be. And that, that's really more for like due diligence, right? If you get it done faster, good. But then you can use that extra time to like, okay, did I do it right? You know, did I, did I check all the boxes? Did I make sure that I use the right stuff to do it? Because then you run into issues where they didn't change out the O-rings and ended up tearing it. And then now it's freaking pissing oil all over the place. Yep. Lucky that plane, lucky that plane was able to come back. God forbid, you know, uh, we're going a little bit into the dark of things, but I had a similar issue where, but it was on a transmission, not an engine. So the, the transmission filter was like seized into its slot, like, like just whatever, whatever it was, it was, it just would not come out. Just welded itself in there. Yeah, somehow. And it was so bad. They attempted to try to remove the filter using overhead cranes. Right. So, Yeah. So it was Holy so seized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Right then and there, it's like, all right, stop. But so they had, I don't know how the hell they did it, but they rigged the overhead crane to try to pull this oil filter out of the transmission. It was so seized in there, it was lifting the plane from, the, from that oil filter, right? Oh my God. And yeah, at that point, we're like, all right, what the fuck, right? Or replace the transmission, Some, something, something to the effect where like, okay, this, is, this should not happen, like ever. And for the crane to be able to lift the plane up from an oil filter, that that says yeah, from holding a filter, yeah, it's like that says a lot. And so they reached out to like the depot level maintenance team, and they said, okay, just uh, just perform an oil sample on the thing to make sure like nothing's grinded up in there. And if it comes back good, then uh, then it's fine. Then we'll just defer it to the next uh phase or next hard fail of the transmission. I'm like, okay, man, you don't want to go to a hard fail of a helo transmission. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, good. so they said, so, they, so I, I don't know who made that call, but they said, all right, roll it. Cause we need this into the mix. We need this into the, into the operations cycle. I'm like, okay. And so they, they, they did the oil sample. They, they sent uh, the oil analysis check came back. Good. No, no grinded gears or hard chips or anything like that. And they said, all right, roll it. It's fine. But they did have to take out the snap ring cap of the filter to kind of do all the stuff they needed to do mm-hmm. and it's a, and it's in such a way where like it's not easily accessible to put that cap and snap ring back on so then of course you know you get the the big dick uh i've all this i'm like the expert mechanic and shit he goes in there he does his thing and he says he was able to get the snap ring on okay moving on this thing um this should never be done i would say is that is a test and go you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. where so a test and go is like you do your function check flight and your your uh your um plan flight in the same go. Yep. That should almost never happen. Like never. So it do, in a in a ideal situation you're supposed to do a check flight to make sure everything's good to go, land, shut it down, do another pre-post flight check and then take off. 
but everyone likes to rush everyone likes to do it now get it done now so they decide to do the function flight and the plant flight in the same shot this thing was flying from san diego up to um like palm springs i want to say it was palm springs was going in that direction was it heading out towards like 29 palms or something like that yeah it was going out towards that way okay. so halfway through the flight they started seeing a drop in oil pressure and they're like what the fuck right and then well they start first they start seeing a flux in oil pressure like it's it goes from normal to bad back to normal to bad back to normal for like uh for at least a good 20 30 minutes about one hour away from uh palm springs and they just lost all pressure all of a sudden like lost it completely and they they just about got to the runway in palm springs when the when the transmission seized up and they plummeted it ten thousand feet into the ground holy shit yeah and so what happened with that was the snap ring that the big dig mechanics so uh, said he put on it wasn't seated correctly all the way so as this thing's vibrating and going through its motions that what helicopters do the snap ring pops off the cap pops off, the filter baf- uh, wafers pop out, and it just starts spewing oil everywhere. So by the time it got to the runway, it was like bone dry for who knows how long. Long enough for the whole transmission to seize up and then just plummet straight straight down. So that's one of the darker sides of not doing your your uh, periodic maintenance. Yeah, yeah, to not doing the periodic maintenance correctly. All those deferreds will add up and it, and it's either going to cost you some revenue, like you have to downflight like in hopes that you find it early enough to not damage anything seriously or you or in the other case on the other side of the spectrum where it, you think it's all running fine and then you have to do an in-flight emergency which roll the dice on that see if it's good or if it's going to be something you walk away from or not. Yeah, because when a gearbox seizes like that, I mean, you can't even auto rotate at that point, right? No, no, nothing's not rotating. At all. There's nothing. <laughs> just, no, nothing. You turn into a lawn dart. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask then, like on that filter snap ring assembly, is there not a second signature or a second set of eyes uh, required for that specific task? Um, QA doesn't have to look at that one. And if and if no is I I'm sure it almost is now would have to be right. Yeah. So there is and there's supposed to be. Uh, I don't know the full situation of what went down with that. They probably just took some random nugget and they said, "Hey, put this on or here do this." And then and then of course like the new guys like, "Oh, it's too hard for me." So then of course the QA comes in, does it, and says, "All right, it's good. Sign it off. I sign off my part." How many times have you guys seen that? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll, 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 we we can make that for a whole nother episode where like QA, QA is the eyes, but he's the one who actually did the work, but he has like a, a nugget new guy who has no idea what the fuck. And then senior level guys telling him to sign something that he never did. <laughs> yep. It happens, uh, happens quite a bit. That's, um, and that's an, un, you know, as this, what you just told, that's the unfortunate negative side effect of, uh, negligence and thinking that, uh, no matter how good you are, you know, or how good somebody thinks they are, I mean, you're still human. You can still mess up. It's not, uh, that's, and that's an un, unfortunate bad day for a lot of people involved. Um, so I guess taking it back to Hilo phase maintenance, then 
so I'm not a helo guy. I don't have any helo background, but what is, um, what are the different phases of like the helos you worked on? Um, and what do those consist of a little bit? So m- most of the helos I worked on are the smaller ones, right? Like I think the Huey was like the biggest one I've worked on for ones that small, you only get a and B phases for the most part, unless they changed it in the, in the recent future or the recent, uh, of times. But usually it's a, a is a is typical like that's just your filter changes that's the quick one and then you have the B phases which is like the fixed wing equivalent of a D phase. Um, I know for bigger helos like say the super like the CH fifty three or the the buff horse would possibly have uh, multiple phases other than A and B, but I'm not one hundred percent on that. But they all relatively run the same way across the board for any airframe, right? You you'd have the the A phase, which is typically your quick one, the B, C, or D, or your 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 next higher phase where you actually tear into stuff. And each of which has like a set list of tasks that you have to do, like like as with any um, periodic maintenance, you know, as far as helos is concerned, it's it's pretty much the same. It's just mo- in most cases, since they're smaller airframes, they would only have like one, two sets of phase, of phase maintenance plans, like A and B. Uh, and... Like say for heavies, they have like eight hundred hours or eighteen hundred hours. Uh, Hueys typically don't fly that long, so it's probably it's more like two hundred, four hundred, uh, and then eight. Okay, are there life limits on those airframes at all? Since they since helos go through, I mean all all aircraft go through numerous forces in flight on ground wherever you want to say, but I know helos go through even some even some different or added stresses so um i was just curious like what what's the what was the life limit on uh an airframe oh yeah there's there's life limits for a lot of it uh on um, the actual structure itself i'm not sure how how long that life limit is i know for a lot of components like most of the life limit is not longer than than uh like twenty thousand flight hours or um or uh oh interesting or fifteen fifteen thousand flight hours and then this is like this is junk after it hits that limit like throw this shit away i mean they'll have like overhaul inspections like every two to 25 to five thousand hours but that's when you act but then you would still have to replace it anyway because we replace it send it to depot they'll do their inspections and then put it back into the the supply cycle wherever that's gonna fit but once it hit like most of those uh uh life cycles are, are fairly shortened compared to a heavier lifted aircraft because like you said, like there's more forces acting on a turbo shaft uh, and uh, airframe that invites a turbo fan or a turbo jet. Yeah, it's uh, that's pretty it's pretty interesting. Like I said, I don't have any helo background, so so I, I depend on you for uh, a lot of that information. Uh, one of the phase checks that I got to I wasn't part of it, but I got to kind of witness it or see it in its various stages. Uh, but at one point I was on the ramp next to uh, an A-10 squadron. And, um, they had, they were doing a D phase check and I was over there one day and, you know, they were kind of showing me around, showing me the A-10, showing me the aircraft, kind of the different stuff, showing me the, you know, a couple of different rounds that they shoot through that, uh, 30 mic mic, which is, uh, pretty wild. But I guess in the D phase is the time when the entire weapon system is removed from the aircraft. And they pull right. pylons, you know, the the missile and bomb pylons. They pull all that all that off, inspect that kind of stuff. The engines, both engines, come off. Like it, it, they almost. I think every almost everything comes out of it. They even gutted the cockpit, but like I think 
in that instance, everything came out except for the landing gear. And I'm not sure why the landing gear, maybe they did come out and I just didn't get to see it. But, mm -hmm. um, God, you really, you really learn, uh, that that aircraft was designed around the gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but that, that gun was so huge. And, and they said they a lot, I think it was for that inspection on that. the guy was telling me it's like five days just for the weapons, weapons inspection alone, not including airframe side of things. Just the weapons guys mm -hmm. had five days just for, for the munition systems. See, I can imagine. I mean, like you said, like the whole aircraft is built around the gun. So like, that's like its primary focus, its primary function. I could five days. That's actually, that's, I, I can see why it's five days. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, especially with a gun that I got no weapons. Uh, well, no weapons experience like that on, 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 on an aircraft, but, um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty wild to see. It's pretty wild to see that how how big that weapon is, and they were kind of showing me. They also have to break the weapon down a little bit. Barrels come off. They go through a, a whole cleaning and inspection and micrometer, you mm -hmm. know, process, and um, and they also have like a. They, he he didn't. I can get to see it, but he was explaining to me a way that they kind of uh, under the microscope to find any stress stress cracks in the barrels and. And the rifling of them and kind of things like that. That was it was really neat to see. That's pretty cool. Uh, uh, I've I've seen some mornings guys do inspe do inspections on like gun barrels and uh, and like like the turret that makes the gun barrels turn. Mm -hmm. I've seen them do it, but I never really got down into the dirty as to what exactly they do with it. I mean, for all I know, they just stick a flashlight down in, like okay, it looks fine to me, or it looks like rifling to me. Like I mean. You could lie to me, and I never, I never would have known <laughs> known the difference. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm checking the, I'm checking the barrel fluid on this gun. I'm like, okay, whatever you say, coach. <laughs> <laughs> I saw one of those little Kiowa helos one day, and they were yeah. they were doing Overwatch for for somebody, and they came back and landed, and the fifty that was on the side, uh, the barrel was melted over, like, like, just like almost hewed down to the ground. I was like, oh my god. They they just held the trigger yeah. on that thing and went to town. <laughs> no, I've seen something like that, uh, but on a on a minigun, the ga the like the, the Terminator gun. Yeah. Now now those things those things rip. In, in in most military fashion, they will tell you to burst your your machine gun so it doesn't do that that melted barrel effect. Mm -hmm. But for a minigun, you can't burst it in the same fashion as as a regular machine gun because. The gun is is shooting so fast that if you do an abrupt stop, it's going to jam the gun because it's it's sucking in more than what you're feeding right. almost. So for that one, you would quote unquote burst this gun. But what I mean burst is more like you just you just hold the trigger and just ride the lightning until A runs out of rounds or B the barrel melts over. <laughs> yeah, God. Imagine, wow, 20 seconds later, click. Oh, oh I guess I'm out. So, so on helos <laughs> with like door door gunners and all that, are there added inspections uh, for forces exerted by the gun onto the airframe? Are those like areas have, I'm sure they have doublers and things like that added to the structure to to reinforce to for the added weight but i don't know if there's any added inspections for say uh gunpowder getting onto onto the airframe or certain components or you have to do certain cleaning on mm -hmm. avionics because of gunpowder i don't know is there is there anything like that involved uh for the airframes i was on not typically because the the way the gun's mounted it's kind of it's on its own little mount 
and it's held together against the by the door itself so if worst case scenario if it were to fail the whole mount's just gonna drop and the aircraft itself will be fine so uh there, there are some inspections but it's more more on the ordnance side of the house with the weapons guys like okay is the mount on right is it stable enough is it is there anything loose like the bearings on it loose to hold the gun in place but as far as like phases or or condition inspections are concerned that typically doesn't fall into like the airframe itself because if worst case scenario it fails then the the mount will just drop off and and whatever now you're just without a gun <laughs> well you know maybe we should find a a 130 an AC130 gunship uh maintainers and ask them cuz since they got all those added uh, firepower to that airframe i wonder i wonder if they're what added inspections they have or if there's an additional phase just for the forces exerted from the guns onto that airframe. And then, and then here's another question too. Uh, so you spent a lot of time where well, you, you grew up, but you spent a lot of time out in the, in the Pacific um, during your time of service and mm-hmm. everything like that. Do the existing yep. phase phases, do those times get dropped when you're operating in a salty sea air environment because of all the corrosion that comes with that? Yeah, um, the phases itself, no, but all the little inspections that lead up to phases, like say corrosion inspections, uh, engine washes, all those other little ones that lead up to the phase, those all get cut in half. Oh, they do. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like a corrosion inspection, usually like every hundred hours or whatnot. Now it's 50 or, or 25 even, depending on the conditions. And the reason why you do that is because again, with the salty or the humid environment, like it's, it's going to eat away at this well before it gets to the phase. So they kind of... Like the phase is kind of like the catch-all and say for for areas we can't necessarily reach on a given inspection. But but to answer your question, yeah, a lot minus the phase itself, a lot of them get cut in half or shorter depending on the conditions. Oh, interesting. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. I, I've just never, I've never really operated in that kind of a environment for long enough to have to go through uh, phase. You know, we were kind of either out there just for a short spurts in support or we were um passing through but we, we didn't stay in those areas long enough at least in my experience i wasn't in those areas long enough to have to go through the phases like that mm-hmm. again to tie it all together all all this stuff like leading up to the phase the phase itself or home station checks isos uh to some uh heavy lifters they call them or uh pmis uh, or yeah, for the Cessna uh, General Aviation World, the 100 hours uh, overhauls. These are all stuff that's meant to prolong the aircraft's life. And you can already tell that if someone's trying to push this along, either A, like you're being super slow about it, which can happen. But a lot of times they push it along because they just want this back into its operation cycle so they can keep making money or or getting it to fulfill the mission, whatever the case may be. The problem is when you start doing those or you start racing to see you can do it, do it fast, better, faster, is you start missing shit, right? And it may not happen directly after that phase, but all those little things that you miss or defer, they start to add up. And then you run into issues like that one flight uh, that came out of Denver where the engine cowling came off and the stator veins caught, uh, broke off and caught on fire and shit like that. Yeah, on a on a component that's rotating at sixty to eighty thousand RPM. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you miss all that stuff. Yeah, so so those maintainers out there working doing phases, uh yeah, I'm sure you guys know the stresses of uh 
being pushed by ops or by maintenance control or whatever else, but uh, never ever sign off something you're you're uncomfortable with or in the story like six gave uh, that you didn't actually perform. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't, don't put your, don't put your light, don't put your, your career and other people's lives on the line like that. Fuck. No, absolutely not. If it's like, if it, unless it's something, you know, kidding saw or do, or you, or you put your hands on it yourself, then I would not even I'm like, Hey, sign this off. Okay. What happened? Oh, this and that. Oh, cool. I'm going to take it. I'm going to, do my due diligence, make sure it was done right. Even though you, the senior level person told me it's fine mm-hmm. because who knows if you yourself even looked at it, I don't care what you say. That's still my name going on the document and they're going to come after me too and ask me the 21 questions. And I have no fucking clue what any of it is. And that's instantly going to be a bad rap on your name. Yep. Exactly. Uh, closing, th- any other closing thoughts, MVP? Uh, no, not too much. I, I kind of said my piece there. Just, um, be careful what you do. Um, you know, defer defer if you can on some small items that are not uh, uh, life ending for negative uh, repercussions. You know, if they fail, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, always always CYA and and fill out logbooks in entirety. Make sure your pass downs are are on point. You know. That way, say you are working multiple shifts and you come up and you say, hey, uh, here's what we did today. Found these other additional items, brought them up to um, so-and-so, you know, brought them up to control or whoever, and they said they opted to defer them. That way, yeah. that way, you're also not losing credibility with your own, your own maintenance team. And they're going, man, these guys overlooked all this stuff. No, we looked at it. It was brought up. Just here's, here's what we were told to do type thing. Yeah, here's the deferred list, here's the MEL list, here's the the do next next phase, whatever whatever the case may be. Yeah. Communication is key. Yes, absolutely. Especially if it, you're picking up a job that someone else did, you kind of want to know what the hell it is they did or did or did not do cuz then you start touching it is automatically your fault regardless if you were the one who actually caused it. Yep. Uh, we like to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to keep producing episodes, uh, bring on guests, and keep Shoreline ever happy to help produce the show. With special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Stephanie Boatman, Jenny Dignan, Ryan Freshour, Daniel Schubert, and Stephen Shivers. Thank you again so much for all your support and all our patrons and listeners out there for all your support. If you have ideas for topics or stories for the show, or you'd like to be a guest on the show, Visit cancelformaintenance.com, drop us a line on the contact us section. We will do what we can to get you and your ideas on the show. Check out our sponsor, Rockwell Time, for all sorts of outdoors and sporting apparel, such as watches, safety-rated sunglasses, and other snowboarding goods. Uh, Go to rockwelltime.com, use code CX4MX, save 10% off your purchases. Again, uh, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash cancel for maintenance. Your patronage, again, allows us to continue making episodes and maintain our gear. Patrons also get exclusive perks such as access to our Discord and discounts to our upcoming merch, which should be launching in the very near future. Bye, everybody. <laughs>